0: Hey everyone, my name is Jason West, and this is Pod Class. Boy, do I have a great show for you all. But first, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone again for their well wishes, and of course for telling me just how cute my new kid is. Yes, he is very cute. Um, He's awesome, and my wife and I are feeling over-the-moon happy and six feet under the ground tired. Seriously, by the time we put both kids to bed... My wife and I are shuffling around the house like a couple of extras on the set of The Walking Dead, and they said having two kids would kill the romance. Today, my guest is Michael Crowder Jones, or CJ to those who know him well. CJ has a really fascinating story that starts all the way in preschool and goes straight through college. Seriously, he may be the most interesting person I've interviewed. He also has the best voice of anyone I've interviewed, and I totally regret doing the show with him because my voice sounds like a broken wind-up toy by comparison. It's like standing next to a supermodel in a group photo. You just don't do it, unless you're also a supermodel. Which, admittedly, I am not. Recently, CJ went from being a high school counselor to heading up a new math program directed towards supporting young men of color called the Urban Math Collaborative. In our interview, we talk about living in LA during the riots, playing college football for a Division I school, and why Hall of Fame wide receiver Randy Moss is so similar to current Secretary of Education and woman who looks like she gives life lessons instead of candy to trick-or-treaters, Betsy DeVos. Alright, let's get the show started, but first, a quick fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Teachers' Lounges. Teachers' Lounges. It's like depression became a room. Started only using like FedEx and and uh, UPS for well, now their delivery using their systems. Own people.
1: Hmm? They have their own delivery trucks. Well, now cars. that's the new thing.
0: And
2: that's the
1: anybody, weirdest it's thing. it's like Uber. You can go say, "I want to drive for Amazon," and now you're delivering for Amazon. It's
0: the weirdest thing. Like I will, the you know, my doorbell rings. Mm-hmm. I happen to be right near the door, so I open it up, and there is somebody who. I see them already walking away mm-hmm. and they just get in their like Toyota Camry and drive off. And I'm like, that was the delivery truck. Right. Just some rando in a car. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only that, but then they take a photo of your front door. They're like, look, with the we package. left it here. Like, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of great, uh, but it's also like, it's just so against type of what I've gotten used to over, mm-hmm. you know, the years of seeing things delivered in a big brown Or a big white truck. Somebody wearing a uniform. No, just, you know, wearing cutoffs. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, take it
1: back to the teacher profession. Same thing.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. It's all changing. Well, listen, that was as good of a segue as we'll get. (laughs) You should be the one doing this, not me. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Excited to be here.
0: Uh, So you just recently got... A, I don't know, would you call it a promotion job change? If you'd say if a promotion
1: means I got more money, then I definitely did not get a promotion. <laughs> um, what I did is, a, I would say, a change of position.
0: Okay. I'll go with that. So what, what is this new position that you are in? Because you, you were a counselor in a high school. Correct. Right. And what is your position now?
1: So my position now is the program director of um, a a program that's being piloted. Um, It's called the Math Collaborative. And the goal of the Math Collaborative is to, I don't want to say ensure, but really, really support, Mm -hmm. provide support holistically for students of color, primarily male students of color. Okay. So the statistics I'll speak just for African-American male students graduating with their A through G requirements fulfilled is around 15%, Mm. which is not good by any standard or metric. Um, And what people have noticed, the term has become kind of like a catchphrase. Math is the gatekeeper. Mm. So, Math Collaborative is supposed to provide support specifically in math to make sure students um, can get passed through and past Algebra 2 with the C or better. Obviously, um, the program is going to provide a lot more support than that. That's at the basic, basic, basic level. Yeah, yeah. Um, So what my job will be is to kind of shadow the students, um, be really intensive with the families, as well as the teachers, as well as the counselors and working together to make sure these students are successful. What that looks like for me mm-hmm. is making sure that they can stay engaged in their, in their own education process in a healthy and productive way for their complete high school careers and beyond.
0: How many students will you be overseeing?
1: Each cohort will be 30 students.
0: How many cohorts?
1: The cohorts will build similar to a pathway structure. So next year there will be 30 incoming freshmen. Year after will be 60, mm. followed by 90, capping out at 120.
0: And it's 30 spread out across a couple of schools or just? Each school
1: um, can model it, you know, however they want to. There's a the, the basic premise is that your students need to succeed. Mm-hmm. So whatever, because each school is so different, um, each school will be slightly different in their, in their program. Mm -hmm.
0: So when you're talking about young men of color, are we talking predominantly uh, young black students or Mm -hmm. is it uh, of any minority subgroup, whether it's uh, Hispanic, Asian American?
1: So the, the highest need group mm-hmm. would be the African American males, so it's going to be slightly, um, a high, slightly higher number. Sure. But it's, we're focusing on Black and Latino males.
0: Mm. Were you always good at math?
1: Good at math. <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. Sure. So the best part about this, yeah, and me being a part a, a program director for this is that I have a history credential. Okay. Um. So. My math background. Yeah, like
0: I, I can tell you dates.
1: That's, no, no, that's no. no I, was, I was actually pretty good in math. Oh, okay. Um, Was I interested in math? Not in the slightest bit. Sure. I, I probably could have done really well in math if it was something that I was interested in and mm-hmm. focused on, but, but I didn't. But I did know I needed to get at least the algebra two or higher in order to get to college.
0: So for those that don't know you mm-hmm. and are just hearing your voice... At one point, not to say that you're not Mm -hmm. young now, but at one point, you were also a young student of color. Correct. Did you require someone to be there as a mentor or was this something that you were always looking around to to help others? I knew
1: from an early age that college was something that was expected of me. Mm -hmm. To say that I had mentors that were Guiding me toward that path. Mm, I can't say that that necessarily happened. Mm-hmm. What I can say is that there were other people, specifically men, that were placed all around me that wanted to ensure that I was successful mm-hmm. at whatever I did. Um, my Both of my parents did not attend college, so they couldn't really tell me how to yeah. navigate that scenario
0: uh, yeah no I, I I totally get that yeah and that's hard because you sit there and you these are your role models these are the people that right are are supposed to sort of show you the way and it's and that becomes a real a real challenge for the parent and the child when they can't deliver on that and that's tough for a parent I'm sure and it's tough for a kid because you're like well now what
1: Right, but it was also made very clear that it was not an option for me not to go right. to college, although they didn't go.
0: Right, yeah, of course.
1: So had th- that that going for me. I would say that from an early age, for lack of a better way of explaining, mm-hmm. school came naturally. So I always got really good grades mm. from preschool all the way through. But I can't say... <laughs> I got I, check pluses, exactly, smiley faces. Everything. I was always, you know, yeah. model, model student. Okay. What, what I can say about that is there was nothing that was telling me that's what I needed to do.
0: So you had a lot of intrinsic motivation.
1: Yes. And I do not know why. Mm. I have no Most idea. Most
0: people don't. It's, it's a really hard thing to quantify... Right. Intrinsic and extrinsic motivation,
1: so looking back on my life, and eventually I have to get back to the original what we were talking about. but I think looking at students that I've encountered mm-hmm. there it was more of just a personality thing mm. so while I do think that you know I was given the reasonable amount of intelligence as every most people are right. Because I was naturally very quiet mm-hmm. and naturally paid attention to everything in my environment mm-hmm. and often thought about those things and how it applied to me, mm-hmm. I was able to be successful in the classroom setting because those were kind of things that served you well in the classroom. I was never an extremely hyper person. I was mm-hmm. never someone that had to get out of their seat and run around. So all those things, teachers love that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> where Where did you grow up? Uh, another interesting question. So, when I was five years old, my parents divorced. Mm-hmm. So Same. from yeah, it was like four. So from zero to five, I was living in Inglewood. Okay. Parents divorced. Moved from that point to. Londale. So I went to school in Inglewood for kindergarten and first grade. Moved to Londell with my mom and my sister, who's four years younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're the oldest?
0: Or, yes. So when you or, say like there was no other role model, it's because you had to be the, the that's, role model. That, that,
1: was, short, that was short-lived. Yeah. I'll get to that. This is a very interesting story.
0: Okay. So
1: moved to Lawndale with mom and sister. Um, attended two schools for second grade. Two public schools in Lawndale. Mm -hmm. Third grade for six months, my parents tried to get back together. Mm. So then we moved to Gardena. Went to school in Gardena for third and fourth grade. Six months later, they decided this was not a good idea. Right. So then moved with my grandparents to Los Angeles. Still attended that same school. In Gardena. In Gardena for third and fourth grade. Fourth grade into fourth grade, my mom got remarried um mm-hmm. uh, to they're they're still together today um you know I look at him as a, a another father, mm-hmm. a great man, you know all that stuff so then I spent the majority of my childhood from that point from nine until seventeen in compton
0: so you were like an army brat growing kind of. up. I
1: tell I tell all the students um, yeah. when I first meet them, I'm like, I I do not have the same experiences that you have. I don't mm-hmm. share the same trauma necessarily, but I do know what it's like to have to try to fit in and belong
0: in yeah. a bunch of different places, and be untethered from something. Right. Yeah. Right. So you experienced what four different schools or school systems? Because you were in LA Unified first. for the most part, but you had four different schools, right?
1: So, kindergarten and first grade, I was still in private school. Hmm. Second grade, when they first divorced, it was public school, two different public schools. Third and fourth, private school again.
0: In Gardena? In Gardena, yes. Okay. Do you remember how you felt as a kid at those schools? Did you sense a difference between public and private school?
1: Not that young, mm-hmm. but... As I got older, looking back, I can, yeah, I can tell. But at that, at that age, I just know, you know. So I, in school.
0: I went to a, a private school, a parochial school, K through eight. I was, I was like the kid on a scholarship at mm-hmm. that school. Um, so because my my it was just my mother and I. We were of poverty, and it wasn't until about I want to say fourth grade that's when I started to really understand that the rest of the kids didn't see me as someone who belonged. Cause I didn't have these nice clothes. I didn't have, uh, you know, any car or house to speak of. Um, and, but I didn't, I went to a public school for high school and that's when it really hit me of like, wow, I was in a real sheltered bubble right. at this, at this private school. Right. Uh, you know, I remember at one point somebody, uh, I was borrowing a, one of those graphing calculators from a friend um, and I, you know, cause those things were like a hundred dollars and I couldn't right. afford that. So I borrowed it and this kid stole it, just took it. Right. And uh, I, you know, what I didn't realize is that he took it as a joke cause he knew the friend who borrowed it and was going to give it to him. So I'm freaking out. Right. And this other kid in my class goes, well, I have an extra one that I'm not going to use. I'll sell it to you for $20. And I was like, well, $20 is still a lot, but at least I can afford that because I can't afford another $100 calculator. So I told him, I was like, fine, tomorrow I'll get you the $20. And so the next day it was weird. I, I give him the $20. He gives me the calculator and it was like a sting operation because then like the Dean walks in and he's like, you two. And the police said the school, you two out, let's go. And we're in the Dean's office. And it's just like, it's seared in my mind, just how sheltered I was. Cause he goes, you know, this is a hot calculator. And I, I said, with all earnesty, it felt fine.
2: Like, oh, like I was world, like, dude. it was like
0: legit Amelia Bedelia. I was like, no, it was, it felt room temperature. I didn't feel how hot it was. And he goes, no, it's stolen. I go, no, no, no. It was his extra. He didn't need it. And he goes and he, and he unscrews the battery door and he opens it up and he shows the inside that it has the name of someone else in it. And I was like, how would I know to look? I was so naive. I was, I mean, think about street smart and then think of the exact opposite. That was, right. that was me. Right. So, uh, I would, when you, when you said that you went to a private school, I was like, Oh, I wonder if I was the only, uh, you know, Amelia Bedelia idiot who <laughs> was just in this little bubble. And then you go to Compton high school, right. and you're like, Oh, this is a totally different world but it seems like you hadn't quite.
1: Well, yeah. And well, and I'll go over the high school was a whole nother thing. Sure. Um, but there was a difference. There was something that helped my transition a lot navigating between those two worlds, the private and public school world. Mm -hmm. And I believe that was Pop Warner football. So playing, starting playing football at nine, 10 years old, Mm -hmm you encounter everybody Mm -hmm. everybody's there most of most of the kids on the team were from public school so it's still you know i still had the interaction Mm -hmm. and and i kind of knew they were a lot more savvy than i was um so i kind of picked up some things and kind of understood okay sure this is this is what's going on this is (laughs) what's supposed to be cool this is not
0: cool And and you had the the i don't know if good fortune is the right word of of, as you said, being kind of a quiet kid who observed right. a lot. So right. you, you could adapt right. pretty quickly, whereas right, right, most right. kids are either not quiet or not observant at all. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, so, so the, by saying setting up that education was always a priority for mm-hmm. my mom. She wanted to make sure that I was in you know, the best schools possible. Mm-hmm. So when we moved to Compton, mm-hmm. I, I never attended Compton Unified schools. So I don't know what that experience would have been like. Um, So she would still commute back to Gardena, which I don't know if that was, you know, top notch or whatever, but I knew that it was probably a step up from where I would have attended school.
0: Certainly in terms of safety, because I used to teach at a school Mm -hmm. uh, that was blocks away. Right. uh, From from one of the Compton Unified schools, and it was just like locked down every other day.
1: Right. So, so things that become normal mm-hmm. and, and live in that environment are not necessarily normal. Right. You know, helicopters, mm-hmm. shootings, having to stay within a certain perimeter of your house, mm-hmm. at least at that time, you know, we're talking early 90s, That those things are, yeah, yeah those things were essential to surviving at that time.
0: Were you living in Compton? By the time the LA riots, or was this after? Absolutely
1: no, I absolutely was living.
0: How was that? Must have been it intense.
1: Wasn't, it really wasn't something that was considered scary. Mm. It was unusual. It sure. was like this is really weird. What's going on? Yeah. Um, to you know, see things burning and your neighborhood burning down and things like that. That's, that's yeah. definitely something that's like, wow, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really feeling of anxiety. It was. It was more like, it definitely wasn't normal. I don't want to yeah. say it was normal. No, no, no. I, I
0: get that. I, I guess what I'm thinking is not so much that did you feel, because I mean, I can't imagine you you would ever feel during that time that you were in any way the target of anything. But mm-hmm. I just imagine as a kid, just the sheer chaos of people's actions and uh, the 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 anger in the atmosphere. Uh, but I'm also a sensitive person. <laughs> so I probably would have so, really picked up on that and been just like, everyone's really mad. So
1: interesting that you say that because living in an environment, while it was in a lot of ways a normal, normal everyday childhood mm-hmm. with neighborhood people, ordinary people, there also is always that underlying feel of mm-hmm. tension and. Yeah. You know, things of that nature. So it, it's not a new feeling. The It was an outward expression of things that people feel every day. Mm-hmm. And it just came to a boiling point and that was the result. Yeah, But it wasn't like, oh, now all of a sudden everybody's mad. And people are right. mad all the time.
0: Yeah. Now it was just being outwardly expressed in right. unison. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, okay, so you you were an okay student in high school then? Or a good student, I should I was, say. I was, a, I was, always a yeah. good student.
1: Yeah. The my my worst time being a student was in college.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. What it's happened?
1: Usually the opposite for people.
0: Where would you end up going to university?
1: Um. So out of out of high school, mm-hmm. I got a football scholarship to UNLV. What position? Linebacker. Oh. Yeah. So
0: I'm like, because I know you're tall. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So because too tall to be
0: a running back. <laughs> <laughs> running backs are like my height. <laughs> No, they, I mean, there was some
1: big boys playing running yeah. back, too. Um, and the reason why that was interesting was because when I tell people that I went to UNLV, mm-hmm. they automatically think, oh, it was this huge party, and he must have been on the strip. And I have to <laughs> say, hold on, hold on. You have to remember, yeah, 18-year-old yeah. can't do anything in Las Vegas. No. There's nothing that an 18-year-old nothing. can do in Las
0: Vegas. <laughs> I know. It's like... What? I look young. I went to Vegas on my 21st birthday and I was really excited. And I sat down at my first blackjack table and they're like, ID. And I was like, no problem. Cause it was my birthday. Right. And they're like, here's what you need to do. First, happy birthday. Second, after this, there's a security table over there. Go over there, show them your ID. They'll give you a wristband. And that way you don't have to keep showing your ID at every table. It's like done.
1: So, they're gonna so I go you
0: get to it all, table. go to the next table. And they're like, ID, I was like, Oh, I have this wristband. They're like, oh, I don't care about that wristband. You could have gotten that from your friend. I was like, Oh. So it doesn't really matter. You just if you're young or young looking, man, they are they are watching you. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So no, you can't you can't just like go to the strip and play around. No, yeah. yeah. You can't do anything. So it's just a lot of desert and stuff
1: a lot of desert. And and the school is far away enough from the strip that if you don't have a car, you Right. You're on campus.
0: There was no Uber.
1: No, there was no Uber. Back then. There was no, there was barely a cell phone. Yeah. It was a very fun time. Mm -hmm. The thing that I wasn't able to manage well was, and probably true of most freshmen, was time. Mm. So And the freedom, the lack of structure, right? There was no freedom. Right. There was a lot of structure. As a student athlete is too much
0: structure. Oh, I see.
1: So my day from six AM until seven or eight PM was planned for me every right. day. It was after eight PM mm. where everything fell nothing apart. good happens <laughs> after eight PM. <laughs> so I developed a pattern of you know, no one has an, an eight o'clock class in college. Mm-hmm. So of course they give all the freshmen this music theory class mm. at 8.30. Let's just say I wasn't very well attended. Uh. So I did decent enough. I mean, it was a music yeah. theory class. It wasn't sure. rocket science. But just even for the rest of the day, going to bed at two. 3 a.m. and waking up at 6 a.m. Yeah. I mean, for workouts, on the days you don't have a workout. In the the desert. Right. And on the days when you don't have a workout, which may be one or two days a week, Mm -hmm. you're you're not getting up at 8 a.m. Yeah. When you do get up at 8 a.m. or have a 10 o'clock class, you're not fully present. You're just tired. Mm -hmm. And so you're wearing yourself out. You have to adjust to that. Your your body adjusts. Mm -hmm. And going back to me always being a good student, there was nothing about school that I could say, oh, I I worked really hard at this and that's why I I pushed Mm -hmm. through and persevered and that's why I had good grades. It was just something that was natural. So going to college, I mean, the only way that I would have done well, well, in my opinion, doing well, Mm -hmm. you know, 3.5 or above, Mm -hmm. Um, I would have had to study. And I would have had to do a lot of reading outside Mm -hmm. of class and all these things that I really wasn't used to. So I was going off a lot of memorization and things that I got in class. You didn't have
0: the habits.
1: Right. I didn't have good study habits. Right. That's a perfect way of saying it. After my sophomore year, Mm -hmm. I realized I'm not really as good of a student as I thought I was. And I'm Mm -hmm. also not as good of a football player as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And... Football was one thing that I did work really hard at yeah when I got to the college level and division one level, I saw that as good as I may have thought that I was, there are people that are yeah ten times better, and then, yeah me. yeah, they're they more athletically gifted than I am, and they are as built hard as hard us. as I work, if they yeah. work just as hard or harder. It will always be better than me at playing football. Mm. The only advantage that I could possibly have was being better mentally mm-hmm. than some players. I mean, but that would it still didn't translate to, yeah. you're going to, you think you're going to go in and you're going to play, you're going to be a freshman and you're going to play right away. And that's just the, for most people, that's not a reality.
0: And, you, and were you, did you play right away or did you? I did not. So yeah. my
1: first year I, I red shirted. Um, and so just stayed and worked out and, did my homework. Did you expect to play when you
0: walked in or did you kind of I, have an idea? No,
1: no, I did. I, I thought that's what, yeah. you know, that's what you do. You come in and you play right away. And so,
0: you, so you go into college and you're thinking, I can just sort of do what I've always done. I can just right. coast through and get good grades. I can stroll onto the football field, start playing D1 at that one of the highest levels, the right. second highest level, if you will. Right. And none of this happens and suddenly you find yourself in 110 degree desert heat right kind of without what in, direction or in
1: the no I had direction I, I I knew that this was something I had to do so then did you know you wanted to be a teacher then or absolutely not yeah so it that's is, what I mean like you didn't not. have I was going to the NFL what do you mean
0: <laughs> but that's what I'm saying when you realized oh wow I'm not that's not going to happen and I'm also not killing it at school i imagine that was a really difficult pill to swallow
1: it was it was and i remember Probably my lowest point there in Las Vegas was the summer. The summer after my first year.
2: Mm.
1: So you're expected first year. I mean, I got over. I'm like, no, oh, a lot of people red shirt. You know, next year, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be starting yeah. as a freshman, a red shirt freshman, and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. So I stay. Me and me and two of my. Um, good friends. We got an apartment because that was the thing to do. You move off campus and you use your scholarship money to pay your rent. Right. So move off campus, stay for the summer to work out. Everyone gets really big and really fast and all that stuff. Some people are able to go to summer school if your grades are bad enough. Mine were not bad enough. Mm. So I didn't have any money in the summer. Mm -hmm. My parents supported how they could they could not afford to pay right. rent for me uh, in the summertime you don't get scholarship checks in the summer by the way that's an, that was another thing
0: it's like so You're you really not knew school. what it was like to be a teacher from an early right <laughs> right You're like we don't get paid in the summer right so if you go to summer school if you go to summer school
1: you get scholarship checks
0: okay oh so there's almost an incentive for student athletes to maybe not do as well because then you can go to summer school and get scholarship checks
1: i guess you could look at it that way wow i, I, I mean i wouldn't look at it that way but well no you i mean
0: you could yeah right but there's right. you know in the same way that there are students who almost actively try to not do well in school in high school so that they can go to summer school because otherwise what else are they doing in the summer they don't want to be home for the whole day that's not something that most people would look at it that way but i'm sure there are some kids that look at it that
1: definitely way. definitely yeah they Everyone had jobs. I wasn't in the position that older players were to get the the good jobs. Mm-hmm. As you were maybe you know your car dealerships and Chippendale like dancers, internships. <laughs> I'm uh, just gonna keep pushing things. it to see but if I you break and I go. Yeah, that was uh, what I did. There was no there was no Chippendale dancing. <laughs> so I was working for my. Second job. My first job was sweeping hair in the barbershop for free haircuts when I was 13, from 13 Mm. to 15. Second job was at Walmart.
0: As a a greeter or? Mm,
1: That would have been spectacular. (laughs) Middle of summer, Las Vegas, averaging 110 degrees. This is one of those super Walmarts. Mm. Entire job was going to get the carts Uh, for eight hours a day, full time.
0: That's rough. Full time
1: that lasted all of the exact amount of time that I needed to be able to pay the rent mm-hmm. for the summer. And from that yeah. moment I said, I'm definitely sticking with college Yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: this is extremely hard work. You know, what? For yeah. not a lot of money.
0: That's a, that's a really good PSA. If you have a student who's not doing well in your, in your program, just be like, hold on, I, I got you an internship. <laughs> definitely <laughs> you're gonna go collect carts at the, the neighborhood walmart
1: yeah it was that was some that was some tough work just the being outside part because before work started i had to go and work out at 8 a.m for an hour and a half and summer workouts as a division one athlete are, are extremely intense yeah. add on to that it's 110 degrees
0: well and i'll say you it's it's a little dejecting because you kind of get to see in a way the worst in humanity um, one of, I always joke, you know, I'm a really good person, but I have no problem when I shop for eggs of taking out a bad one and putting it in another cart and swapping it so that I can have a whole 12 thing and just like, oh, that's someone else's problem. Mm. But it's the same thing with, with carts. I'm sure that people just, you know, I'm a good person, but I'm just going to leave it here oh, on this, this median this under day. the tree. My wife thinks
1: it's the funniest thing. To this day, Yeah, when we are grocery shopping and we put the stuff in the basket,
0: I find the cart rack. Same. I'm the exact same way. I'm yeah.
1: like, I don't care how far I have to walk. She's like, just leave it there. Do you see all these bags? I'm like, no. I'm going to walk <laughs> I'm not going to be that person that does To that. the cart rack. I know. Because, I mean, they have the, the cart people, especially at Costco. Yeah. They have an advantage now because- Yeah, those little cars. They, no, when- when you go to a certain point, you can't roll it anymore. There's like oh, some ooh, kind yeah. of sensor on it. That's true. I found out the hard way one day.
0: <laughs> I I parked at a Target uh, or I went to Target, but I, tar- but I parked uh, at the, we have this really big mall uh, where there's like a Target, a Trader Joe's, uh, TJ Maxx, like there's all these like things. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Trader Joe's first. And then I'll walk over to Target. I went to Trader Joe's, got my stuff, put it in the car, walked to target got a bunch of stuff started pushing the cart and got maybe 800 feet away from my car and the cart just stopped
1: mm-hmm. i was like no yeah i never knew that happened that was completely by accident I had no idea and then it doesn't it doesn't move in any direction once it locks. no it just stays there wherever yeah. you are
0: yeah so i don't you know if they have the a magic
1: key that unlocks it or what but yeah,
0: it's... They didn't have that in no.
1: 2001. They didn't No,
0: have that. and they're just everywhere. And in, you're on like a world search for cards. You go in the
1: neighborhood and get them. Man.
0: So you did okay in college? At what point did you realize so you after. to be?
1: So the reason why I say that that was my lowest point was yeah. I was working, working out, and then the season started. I'm still in summer. And a lot of my family is in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So the first game of the year was in Little Rock, and we were playing the University of Arkansas. So all these family members bought all these tickets. And they're, like, oh, we're going.
0: And we're going to see you sitting on the bench. It'll be like right. Rudy. <laughs> that would have that that been better. See so
1: <laughs> I didn't even make the travel team. Oh, no. So they're all at the game, and my parents flew to Arkansas and uh, all that. and I'm sitting in Las Vegas watching the game on TV. But okay. so at that point, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And nobody made a big deal about it. They were like, oh, we're just going to support the team and all that. But, you know, I felt terrible. uh, (laughs) So, at that point, I knew. I'm like, okay. I said, there's probably a point where I I will start. It'll probably be closer to junior, senior year. Mm -hmm. After I've been in the program for two or three years and, you know, veteran and more savvy and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Probably not going to the NFL, and I'm fine with that. So, I finished the the season. Mm -hmm. After the season, I told my – mom that I was going to transfer. Mm. So she said, okay, I'll help you and started looking at schools. Mm-hmm. Had a really good friend from high school that was at a small liberal arts college in the Bay Area, St. Mary's College of California, who at the time had a football program. So called him up, put a feeler out. Um, one of my high school coaches was coaching that. San Jose State put a filler out there, and I, on my own, me and my mom drove up to the Bay Area, went to both schools, mm. and when I got to St. Mary's, I fell mm-hmm. in love with the campus. I said, you know, this is the kind of place where I think it would be perfect for me. Talk about a <laughs> completely <laughs> about different
0: a difference between
1: completely different. And now we're back the to the private school again, and the right? Bay Area private school same, the same yeah dynamic so i yeah. got there you play football and mm-hmm. it's it's not the same it's division one still but it's is one double yeah, yeah yeah by that point i i already knew that you know football wasn't really my thing like that anymore that was so much of my identity i wasn't re- ready to share that right um so my my dad is he was a huge football guy. He was my coach after right after they got married, he he was my coach for baseball, football, all those things and he it was very much his dream also uh, because he was he was a lot better athlete than I am and he felt like it was just a different time mm-hmm. and he ended up going to the army and turned down athletic scholarships to go to the army mm-hmm. cuz he had other family obligations and sure. things like that. So it was his Dream to make sure that I went as far as I could go mm-hmm. in football. So there was that pressure. Then it was, you know, in my community, mm-hmm. there was this whole thing of, oh, you're, you know, you're, oh, you're a football player when I come home or oh, how, you know, how's the season going? That was very much my identity, friends and family. Mm-hmm.
0: So I had that. Did you find that? Because I find this with a lot of my students that there is, I don't know if pressure is the right word. It's almost that sports is the most realistic life draft life raft for a lot of the the young men I should say and it's I'm gonna play soccer I'm gonna play baseball I'm gonna play basketball And, and and did you feel like that was a driving part of your desire to play not just what you were saying with your family but that that was sort of culturally with a lot of your friends where you were all headed or I would definitely say
1: that is a huge but it's it's Yes, to answer the question.
0: <laughs> okay, moving there, on. No, kidding.
1: There is there's also, it's just a culture. It's a whole culture. So on top of it being as a kid, you, these are like your heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up in you know, Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant and... All these guys; these are these are the heroes. these are guys you have posters of yeah. on your wall. So you you want to be those guys. And
0: you grew up in in the L.A. area, right. Magic Johnson, right? Nineties everywhere, everywhere, everywhere.
1: So on top of that, you have parents who are saying, "Look, we're we're okay. We're not we're not doing bad. You you eat every day. You have clothes. Right. You know they were able to afford private school, maybe not the best private schools, but private school." So we're not hurting. However, we cannot afford to send you to college. We make too much money for financial aid mm-hmm. and we don't make enough money to pay for your education.
0: And you are not a part of a small group of uh, parents and family who have that. It's right. That is a huge thing. And that is something that continues to go uh, unanswered in terms of by universities and colleges. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh student loans have become such a huge problem right that's in in this country
1: can afford to go to school
0: because it's I, unless there are too many of us who are in this very wide window of well, i'm not you know i I'm not making under you know twenty thousand dollars a year or something like that right, but I'm also not making seventy to eighty a year right. It's a very, very large window of salaries.
1: Right. So I knew and a lot of my friends knew at a young age that if we wanted to go to college, the only way was you had to get a scholarship Mm. or you could try to go to city college and, you know, maybe try to work your way through school. Um, But if you wanted to go straight out of high school as undergrad, that was, that was the way to go. And that was how everyone Pursued it. So on top of having the glory of being, you know, hero and all that stuff, then, oh, you get to go to school free too. Mm -hmm. So at an early age, that's what I was working towards. So like I said, in football, I was working really hard. Mm -hmm. I would get up at 5 a.m. and work out and all those things and run and all the extra stuff that you needed to be good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, So I think that that is that does translate today. If you walk into I haven't been in a classroom yet, whether I was speaking or teaching or counseling. Where I could look at a group of minority men and ask them what they wanted to be when they grew up. Mm -hmm. And nine out of 10 wouldn't say either an athlete or entertainer. Mm -hmm. That is what you see as a minority male growing up in this country Mm -hmm. as viable options for you to have a a great life with a lot of money and provide for your family in a way that you see on TV.
0: So uh, we've kind of, um, we've covered a lot of ground here. Right. Uh, We're going to try to, I'm going to try to land this plane here. Right. Uh, So coming back, you were always a good student. You were a, a good enough athlete. Right. Obviously not um, an elite athlete, but you were a good right. enough athlete. Now you're in a position where you are working with uh, young boys who are in a position where they're not good students for the most part, right? This group
1: that I'll be working with now, right. I'll give the exact primer. So it's between 1.8 and
0: 3.0. Okay.
1: Those, those are the...
0: Right so it's, it's a large window, but it's the majority of it is not doing. Right. So They're well. not
1: doing spectacular, but right. with some scaffolding, the goal is for that entire mm-hmm. group from starting high school at a 1.8 will be ready to go to college by the time they graduate.
0: So what connection then do you feel with these students? How do you, because if your story is, I've always been a really good student. Right. And everywhere I've gone, I've kind of succeeded to a degree until you get to college and you realize, right. oh, I'm not sort of the cream of the crop of athletes. Right. How do you then connect with, how, how do you plan on connecting with these, these young boys?
1: Right. And, and that's a great question. And the, the answer is mm-hmm. the same answer that I, of advice that I give to all educators mm-hmm. is the very first thing that you have to appeal to when you're dealing with anyone and you're just trying to speak with anyone is they have to know that you view them as a human that's full of compassion and empathy and uh, you have their best interest in mind so once any student knows that i mean it it helps obviously that physically they Mm -hmm. can relate to me sure Uh, but on another level Once a student knows that you are interested in them as a person and things they go through and you care about them succeeding, you want them to succeed, but your interest in them is not contingent upon them doing something for you. Mm. Then you're likely to get maybe not, Exactly the desired results that you want, but you'll get a lot further than someone who they know yeah. is only into what you can do for them. In most cases,
0: like do well in my class, do well in yeah, my program. Well, yeah. It's really you interesting. you have to like
1: what I'm telling you. You have to like this. If you don't like what I'm telling you, then I don't like you.
0: Or I'm I'm being nice to you, and I'm I'm seeing how you are. But it the contingency is if you're not gonna try my class, right then this relationship ends.
1: Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. doesn't work for me. You have to.
0: doesn't work for the kids. They can see right through it. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. It's hard for someone to understand someone who has gone through a lot of trauma at a very young age and had to process that and still go to school and do well and all those things. So, you know, we all we're all speaking and thinking from our own framework. So you're like, this student is not doing any homework. They don't care about this subject. They, I, you know, they're disrespectful. They won't sit in their seat. They won't do this. They won't do that. Because you're coming from your own framework, and you're like, well, first of all, most teachers were decent students. Most teachers, right? So they're like, they're they're feeling. I mean, like not a, me, but yeah. It's a personal, I <laughs> feel like it's a personal attack on what they're saying and what they're doing. So mm-hmm. the student is disrespecting me. Yeah. The student is doing this to me. The student is doing this and they won't just be quiet. They won't just learn. They're disrupting my class every day. When really everything that the student is doing has absolutely nothing to do with the teacher. It right. Everything to do with things that they're trying to process. When you're dealing with 35 students at the same time. Right it's easy to say, but if you don't have those internal checks and balances, it's easy to fly off the handle and say, you know, this I'm not even dealing with right. this kid anymore. Yeah. So it all goes back to humanity. I mean, that's yeah. my, that's my magic pill right there. Yeah. Treat every student as if they were their own human with their own feelings and emotions and strengths and weaknesses and try to help them the best they can along their journey. Because you're just one step along their journey, yeah, and for one a very, of many, yeah, and you for a very you. small percentage of time, so why not be why not be someone that a student looks back at and says, "I really wasn't a great student, and I know I gave this teacher a hard time, but they, they really always me. treated me like a human being, yeah. and they helped me.
0: That's great. well, uh, good luck with this not promotion <laughs> <laughs> with this uh change in position and uh i'm hoping that we might be able to check in every once in a while to see how it's going and to see
1: you know, i'm i'm really excited and, and you know hopefully i will get at least 5 years to yeah. really see how this thing plays out um and and i think that it will be successful because of the idea of bringing teachers, parents, counselors, administrators all together for the benefit of this cohort of students. Mm. Um, So I think, I think it's going to be a great thing. I'm excited.
0: It's great. Uh, You ready to play some games and do some segments?
1: Definitely. Let's go.
0: Okay. So our first segment is, it's a bit of a choice and I'm going to, I'm going to leave this for you. Uh, It's called best slash worst teacher story. So this is an opportunity for you to either share your uh best story from your career in education something that you look back and hopefully by the end of your career this will be this thing that you're going to point to and say this is one of the best things that happened to me in education or you can look at one of your worst teaching stories and just share that with the audience going look this is one of those moments where i mean it's in retrospect it's not as bad as it felt in the time but in the moment man i was like is this really teaching uh So I'm going to let you choose best worst teacher story. What would you like to share with the pod class audience?
1: I'm going to go with the best story.
0: Okay. In the interest of keeping it positive. I like it.
1: Yeah. I like to keep it positive. Yeah. So my, my philosophy, not only in teaching and educating, but in life is when I meet someone or when I interact with someone, I want them to, I want to leave them with them feeling better than when I came. Mm -hmm. So This story starts in the classroom, but it ends many years later. Okay. There was a student in my 11th grade U.S. history class who we would consider not a good student. Mm -hmm. He kind of goofed off, didn't really turn in any work. He failed the class, and every so often he would have something really insightful to say during class discussions. (laughs)
0: I love those students who do nothing or goof around or act like they don't have uh, the type of brain power that can hold a thought for longer than like a firefly illuminating. But then every once in a while, they just turn into Confucius. <laughs> and you're right. just like, are you the most brilliant person right. who ever walked the earth? Like, how did you come up? I, that, those kill me. And the every answer time. is probably yes. I mean, yeah. if we
1: go back in history and look at, you know, all the brilliant people, They
0: probably weren't <laughs> All students. the best quotes we've ever seen throughout history yeah. are just that one moment of lucid right. thought that those people had. Otherwise, they were just crazy and all right. over the place. That'd right? be amazing.
1: So I'm at... My my favorite restaurant and this is a shameless plug. Steamed in Long Beach, I love this restaurant. What's it called? Steamed. It's a it's a vegetarian cuisine restaurant All on Third right. Street. Free advertising. Stuff. Good stuff. So
0: when CJ shows up next time, Steamed, hook him up, give him some exactly. free food.
1: Uh, so I'm I'm in Steamed, my weekly order. <laughs> <and> this, <laughs> weekly, wow, weekly that order. really is yes. your favorite restaurant. Yes. This student comes in and yeah. now he's. Semi-adult. He's mm-hmm. probably 21 or so at this point. So last time I, I see this student, he's 16. Mm. He comes in and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, what's going on? He's like, oh, my God, I've been looking for you. I've been looking. I was like, well, you know, I'm around. Still working at the school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, at this time, actually, I wasn't at the school. Oh. Um, so I'm like, you know, so what's going on? What are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm in my senior year at Cal State Long Beach. I said, oh, okay, that's good. Like, you know, what happened? And so. <laughs> how did you get there? Right. In my mind, I'm like, how did you get there? Because last I checked, you had all F's in the oh 11th gosh. grade. So he said, well, after that year, I decided to go to an alternative high school and make up my credits. So I graduated a little late, but I graduated. Mm-hmm. He said, I went to. Long Beach City College where I got straight A's for 2 years and then I transferred to City College and I said what happened <laughs> He said
0: believe it or not he's like I, I threw learned. a I threw a penny into a fountain he made said, a really big wish
1: No he said he said I learned a lot in your class wow. and it was the first time that I felt like I belonged in school Wow and I said that's really interesting because you didn't do anything the whole year. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, I didn't write anything down, yeah, but I was doing, I was doing a lot of my own work in, in my head. And after that summer, hmm. I said, I think I, I can be a good student. I think I can do this. And he said, being in your class was the catalyst for me deciding that I wanted to do something different. And I feel like I, could do something in education. So I'm like, really? I was like, what did I do? Cause I don't remember. <laughs> he was like, I don't know if it was anything you did, but it was the way you made me feel. Wow, He said, every other teacher always wanted me out of their class and said, you know, you're messing it up. da da But I always felt welcome. And you let me speak and you let me share my thoughts and opinions. And I said, Hmm, that's, hmm. Pretty amazing. I was like, yeah. I didn't expect that coming in to get my,
0: you know, quinoa and, that- and rice. I mean, quinoa <laughs> and beans, and
1: you know,
0: but I will take it. <laughs> so it was the be- not only was it the best meal right. that you had; it was also the best teaching experience. Right. You know, that's amazing. You, I talk about this a lot, especially with uh, new teachers, that the fruits of our labor as teachers often go unseen or unfelt uh, in in your case had you not you know gone into this restaurant right you would have never known the impact that you had on this kid and that's probably true for dozens of other kids that you've impacted and it's one of the harder things about being a teacher is you know you 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 plant a tree or a little seed of a tree right in a in a, in a forest and then you leave you, you know, cause the tree doesn't leave in this metaphor, but right. I think you're following me. But normally the, the student leaves, but you leave in this metaphor and you don't typically get to revisit that forest to see how well the trees are doing. And in your mind, you're hoping that the tree is doing well. Right. But for the most part, you just never know. And it's really cool. Every once in a while you go back in and you're like, Hey, I put that tree down and I thought there's no way that this thing is going to make it. It's just not getting enough light. It's not getting enough rain and wow, look at how well it's doing and you feel great about it. And it's man that, you know, teaching is hard for so many reasons, but one right. of the reasons is you just, ne- you just never get to know or feel in the immediate aftermath of what you've done. If what you did had a real impact or not. Right. And that's really And it, cool. it's great when you do. Yeah. It, oh, it's. It, I mean, those yeah, things, it's the best one I
1: I need, a student this is very selfish and and this is true for me i need a student at least once a semester to tell me that something that i'm doing yeah. is helping them no i or totally get it i don't think i'd like to keep doing
0: it. Uh, it it's hard yeah and i'm sure that day you were like you know what i'm gonna get myself a special treat <laughs> it, and You're like i've earned this whatever i'm gonna and get and now. When, and it never fails whenever it
1: happens is always the day where i'm like I'm going to take the day off tomorrow because this is getting to be a lot right now.
0: You know, I, I talk about that a lot too, that it's like this, this thing that you put out in the, in the universe. I had a couple of really low days and without fail, those are the days that a student out of nowhere would show up with a note or a gift or just a student I hadn't seen in a while would come to visit me or somebody from who was now in college would, was back and would, it just, you know, you, you're always trying to put good things out in the universe and you know, I'm not, I don't know how much I'm into the spirituality of that. Right. But it seems to me that if you're always trying to put good things out into the universe, when you are feeling your lowest, it tends to come back. And so, uh, that's really cool. That's a really good story. Thanks for sharing. Okay. So our next game is a game that we've played kind of once before last time it was called guess the Betsy this time in the interest of your background in football this is going to be called Moss versus DeVos Randy Moss Hall of Fame wide receiver has said some very interesting things in his career absolutely so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a quote and you are going to tell me who said it Randy Moss or Betsy DeVos
1: First of all, that is hilarious, and I am ready.
0: <laughs> go ahead. All right, so we're going to start the timer, and go. This person said, in Wyoming, I think, probably there, I would imagine that there is probably a gun in schools to protect from potential grizzlies. I'm
1: going to go with DeVos.
0: Correct. This person said, when you're rich, you don't write checks. Straight cash, homie. I'm going to say it's probably Randy Moss. That is correct. Uh, This person said, excluding nobody, I'm the best player in the National Football League. That's a tough one, but I think I'm going to go with (laughs) Randy Moss. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, You'd be surprised, though. It was really close. Uh, Betsy DeVos said something very similar. Uh, This person also said, HBCUs are real pioneers when it comes to school choice. They are living proof that when more options are provided to students, they are afforded greater access and greater quality. (laughs) These are... Ridiculous, DeVos. <laughs> this is a ridiculous statement. I mean, just a lack of humility in history. Uh, this person said, "I think I'm more misunderstood than anything." Hmm,
1: that one's tough. That actually, that one actually is tough. I'm gonna go with Randy Moss. It's actually Betsy DeVos. <laughs> yeah. We
0: are not. You are not misunderstood. You are a tragic human being. <laughs> the next uh, quote: "I don't care about my image. I'm already paid. I've already got my money. So why worry about my image?" That could be both of them, too, but I'm going to go with Moss. That is Randy Moss. Yes, that is correct. Uh, next one. I have decided to stop taking offense at the suggestion that we are my family is buying influence. Now I simply concede the point. They are right.
1: It's boss.
0: Yes, that is correct. Uh, this one. Uh, to all my critics, you get paid to be negative.
1: Once again, these are actually tougher than I thought, but
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm going to flip a coin and go with Moss on this. One. That is Randy Moss. Yes, uh, we have two more to go. If you are asking me where my heart and where I am happy is, I love playing with Tom Brady. I love being coached by Bill Belichick. <laughs> I'm going to go with Moss on that one. Correct, Randy Moss. And lastly, people like us must surely be stopped.
1: Jeez. I'm going with DeVos on that one.
0: That is DeVos. And that is the one thing she said in her whole life that I completely agree with. We need to stop people like her. I'm
1: surprised at how those quotes could have gone either way. Yeah. Because they are in two totally different worlds. Very different
0: worlds. One is they could known for being uh, very talented, but very braggadocious and saying and says things that people just sort of laugh at because it's so insane. Right. And the other one does the kind of the same thing, but is in charge of all of education in America. Right.
1: Right. Ah,
0: Well, it was a little depressing and you did really well. Good job.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: All right. So we've learned a lot. We've played around a lot. We've been inspired, but now it's sadly time to wrap things up and say goodbye. What I normally do, with my guests at the end of every episode is I have them give the pod class audience some extra credit work. We don't give homework. We give extra credit. I would like you to give an extra credit assignment to the audience. It could be anything. It could be uh, a book you think they should read a TV show or a movie. You want them to check out a type of food. Maybe you want them to try pretty much anything. What is an extra credit assignment you would like to give to the pod class audience and why? So I have two books that I'm going to recommend.
1: Both of them very serious. One might throw you for a loop. Okay. The first one. Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. (laughs) Absolutely not. That would be
0: last on my list. That would throw me out for a loop for sure. Right.
1: So the first one is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And it's a short read. I'm kind of a speed reader. I read it in a day, but you you should probably take your time and take (laughs) notes and all that. Um, I would, I've read it four or five times and I'll probably read it again because I get something new every time. But the four agreements that the author is discussing, the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. Second agreement. Don't take anything personally. Third agreement. Don't make assumptions. And the fourth and final agreement: always do your best. Second book is The Art of Science and Respect by James Prince. James Prince is the CEO and founder of Rap A Lot Records in Houston. Most famous for the group, The Ghetto Boys, of which their most famous song, Mind Playing Tricks on Me, um, spawned the career of Scarface and many other. Mm. So it's it's autobiographical, and there are things that he says that are very insightful, and especially if you're in the field of education, there's things that are very insightful about teaching students and relating to students that come from a background of poverty. Mm. So I'll give you a, a small snippet of the book um, talking about his perceived difference of middle-class, and impoverished people.
0: and you can prepared. This is great. You got a reading and everything.
1: So the middle class often protects their children by shielding them from what adulthood may bring, allowing them time to grow and mature as people. The impoverished protect their children by exposing them to everything as early as possible to prepare them for life. That difference in time so early in our lives affects how we will move throughout the rest of our days.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I so why these two books, how, how do they go hand in hand for you? The four agreements
1: for me gives me something to reflect on when I'm dealing not only with other people, but with myself and that goes for you know my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my daughter, my relationship with students and other educators and really just accepting that everyone whatever they're doing, they're doing because it somehow is something that they're working through in their own
0: lives. And and it's a it's a book it sounds like that you don't have to be an educator no
1: it applies to to everything so sure. people people are working on their own stuff all the time <laughs> and sure are we can look at the stuff that they're working on and think that they're throwing something towards us when really they're projecting something from their own reality mm-hmm. onto the universe and we're just we just happen to be in the way of that at that moment so keeping that in mind it helps me not take Interactions personally, um, because I interact with a lot of people mm-hmm. all the time
0: <laughs> who tend to not be in their most calms, you know, right? The most right. calm position in the world, right? They're coming the se- to you when things are frustrating or right.
1: Yeah, right. The second book is just because I'm I'm a huge hip hop fan and I read this book not expecting to get any of the stuff that he was talking about, mm-hmm. um, but I mean he he has a lot of the, his book came about because he has a lot of influence and people are, for lack of better terms, afraid of him mm. when really he's probably five foot three mm. and 130 or 40 pounds. But just the way he carries himself and reputation that he has, he's able to um, have respect amongst a lot of different communities and mm. amass a great fortune through doing business. So,
0: And that's cool. And that's something that, um, I see a lot in the in certain levels of hip-hop where on the surface, it's just kind of, you know, it just seems fun and entertaining, but when you really sort of reflect on it or just get deep into it, it's, you know, it's deep life lessons right. that, you know, you can take away and it's not just, you know, a really great beat or a really good hook or anything like that. It, there's, there's something to that. Yeah. And that's sort of where this book it sounds like for you you go into it like oh it's hip-hop i like it i'm gonna read it right and then you come out and you're like did he just you know yoda me right that's what happened (laughs) that's great all right so four agreements and the the art and and science of respect man mr cj is no joke as a teacher he's giving you two (laughs) books to read (laughs) uh if you only read one in the next week that's good but try to read both that sounds great and Man, thanks again for coming. Really appreciate no it. Oh sharing sharing your it. story. It was great. Hope you had a good time.
1: Yeah, hopefully I can come back and give updates on. Yes. You know, that would be great. Things, and there's a lot more stories that we don't have time to discuss, but
0: oh well, no, we'll definitely have to have you back then. Definitely. Cool. Okay, that is our show. Thanks again to my guest Michael Crowder Jones, and thank you, my pod classmates, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, go right to the Pod Class homepage on whatever platform you get the show, and leave a 5-star rating. Just like blinking lights on a casino, the more ratings my show has, the easier it will be for people to find and enjoy. Also, don't forget to come back next week for my mini-pod show, and remember, if you want your listener questions to be answered on the air, don't forget to submit them to me through social media under the username at West or via email through podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. That's all for this week. Podclass dismissed.